You are listening to audio from the church at Junius Heights. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website, thechurchatjuniusheights.org. Welcome. There are a handful of guests here and a handful of folks that are back uh, for a, a multitude of times. And welcome. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. The scriptures say that we're all ministers of reconciliation, that we've been, we've been given the work of ministry and if we look at 2 Corinthians, like we, we just can't avoid the reality that all of us, in some form or fashion, are shepherding and caring for and pastoring. And so my name's Travis. I'm one of the folks on the team. And the, the beginning of every year, if, if you're a regular attender or you're a member of our church, we're going to recalibrate. We're going to look at the beginning of the year and remember who we are, where we're going, and what the, what the like, purpose of our community, our little expression of the church here and this side of Dallas. We're going to look clearly at what God's called us to do. And so we're going to do a little bit of that today, and then we're going to kind of set our sights for 2020. And what God is doing here is, um, is far and away more than kind of resurrecting an old building and creating a quality place for Christians to come and gather. Well, like we hope to do that. And there are people that are listening to the podcast that goes out, and, and there are folks that I saw at a wedding this weekend that were talking about how they've been listening to the podcast. For all of you listening to the podcast, if you don't live here, I'm glad you're listening. But for those of us who are here, for those of us who are gathered in his name in this room, God is doing something more. The kingdom of God, there's a mission that is for our family, a mission for our fellowship, for our dinners, our coffee tables, our living rooms. There's a mission for us to be on. If we live on this side of town and we're gathered together in Christ's name, like there's a thing that we're supposed to be doing that is not just gathering for a safe and clean worship space. There's a mission. And together we have to be clear on what the will of God is for us as his body here in East Dallas. There's three places in the scriptures, there's three ways that the body of Christ is talked about. His actual body, his physical being that meandered and walked and taught and, and healed all over earth, that is his body. His body is the, when he talks about the breaking of the bread at the Last Supper, this is my body. And the other place the body of Christ is talked about is right here, this room is the body of Christ. And so we have to be clear on what he's doing here with us. And so our mission statement, our mission statement is up on the screen. This is who we are. If we miss everything else, we gotta know this is what God is calling us, directing us, moving us into to be disciples, that we will be a church that are disciples and makes disciples who first love Jesus Christ. This is all from the scriptures. Love Jesus Christ, love our neighbors, and advance his kingdom in the world. If you're a member of the church and somebody asks you what about your church, you should be able to say this. This is what defines us, the, the kingdom of God advancing in our love for God in our own hearts, our love for our neighbors who God has put all around us, and then how that rolls out all over the world. And, and if we get focused on that as a family, and that's how we live and breathe and step and move, this is kind of the, the anchor point, then all of the things we do will make sense. But if we just start to do one-off things and try to say yes to this and move to this part, and this, if this is not the, the, the leading, guiding directive of where we're going, then we'll miss it. And this just comes from the scripture. So this is who we are. And, and last night, I was at a wedding. I got to officiate a wedding last night for a sweet couple of kids that my wife and I, Kirsten, have been walking with for a long time. 
and it, it was a celebration. It was a lot further away than we expected. It was in Denton, which I don't know if you think Denton's in the Metroplex. It's not. It's like almost Oklahoma is where Denton is. And had we done a wedding in Waco, we'd have gotten a hotel room for sure. We're like, oh, it's Denton. We'll just drive. And then we realized Friday we drove up to Oklahoma and back. And then literally the rehearsal dinner after the, the rehearsal was 20 minutes from Windstar. And if you're a Christian, you know where Windstar is. That's okay, all right? But it was 20 minutes from Windstar. And I was thinking, well, we should go there and <laughs> then go home as opposed to drive an hour and a half back to our house. But we were at this reception and they did it in the backyard, this beautiful backyard. And the dad is doing his toast to his daughter who just got married. She's 22. Uh, the son is, tw- the son-in-law now is 22. And they were both members of our church back in College Station. And he's listing off all of the, the ways he's seen her grow. He's going through this Rolodex of when she was 10. And she wanted to be a, 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 a teacher and she'd fake teach. And then when she was six and she wanted to be a doctor and she'd have all like the rubber, like rubber, rubber, the band-aids, not rubber bands, band-aids. And he was just going through all the ways he's seen her mature from the things she imagined she would be to the things she has become. And, and he was, he was pretty, he kept it together. I mean, he was a mess the whole night, but he kept it together during this speech. But whenever it shifted, as when he goes, the thing that I am most proud of you, the thing that I've been uh, most overwhelmed and amazed to watch and see is, is over the course of your life, you've become a disciple. And when he said that, he couldn't keep it together. The weight and the value of being a disciple of Christ, the weight and the value of a clear follower of Jesus beyond all the things he'd hoped for his daughter and all the things he imagined she might become someday, this is the one thing that he was just overwhelmed with emotion that she followed Christ We have to be disciples if we're going to make disciples. Not just disciples who were like the guys in the Bible back in the day that wandered around and followed Jesus. Um, we have to be people who love like Jesus and live like Jesus and think like Jesus and step and walk and move and give and serve and reallocate like Josh said our time and talent and treasure like Jesus did. He was all in. The mission that God put him on was his mission, and it becomes our mission. And we look at Jesus' life and the overflow of his obedience. Like, if he's doing these things, these have to be reflective in our church if we're going to be the church that accomplishes the mission that God has given us. We have to become disciples that can go and do these things. And when I, when I look at Jesus' life and the overflow of his obedience, there are core values of our church that... I've, I've feel like I just looked at Jesus' life and then put into a list for us. And these are the current core values. If you're in here and you're going, Travis, you absolutely missed this one. Well, great, we're a young church. We can shift some of this. This is still in process. But as I look at the scriptures, I see core values. It was Jesus' life reflected in these five things. That we would be dependent prayers. Not prayers that, like prayers that, run to God when things get hard or, uh, or, or people they are just trying to acquire or accomplish, that we would be dependent, that our, our life would depend on God's response to our longings, like we read in Psalm 63. We'd hunger and thirst for him, and then we would be alive because we've engaged him. 
that we'd be dependent prayers, that we'd behold God's word. We do this every week. We don't do topical series where my opinion or somebody else who's preaching's opinion comes out. We look at the scriptures and we take that and we try to say what it's already saying. We're gonna depend on God's word. This is the authoritative text in all of human history. We're just gonna talk about this. Being beholding of God's word will play out in Bible studies and small groups over time all across our fellowship and all across the city where we are we're placed, that we'd have intentional community. I look at Jesus' life, and he sought out people and invited them to come and see what the mission was. He deliberately moved to John and moved to his brother James. He moved to Peter. He, he moved to these guys and said, will you follow me? When they didn't deserve to be asked or invited, he intentionally engaged them in community. And then can you imagine how inefficient their life and discipleship was because they didn't have cars or Uber or they couldn't get on a train. They, they, they had to walk everywhere. Talk about intentional community when you're sitting around a fire every night to stay warm and you're sharing your food around a table every day. Intentional community is I look at Jesus' life and I look at the early church and I go, that's, that's a core value of what it is to be a disciple. Deliberate evangelism. This is where it gets a little bit uh, more uncomfortable for some folks in church. I'm supposed to talk about my faith to people who I don't know? I'm supposed to share the hope that I have in Christ comfortably and publicly? Yeah. And we're going to work on this as a church. We're going to do trainings down the road where we get equipped to articulate the things we know to be true. We're going to get equipped on sharing with our family, and where it's the hardest sometimes to talk with our family about Christ and things we believe with our coworkers, with our neighbors, we're, we're gonna work on that. But deliberate evangelism was something that you look at Jesus, he sent out the 72. We're gonna look at that passage a little bit today. He sent them out. We're gonna be sent out deliberately. And then the, la the last piece sort of is an all-encompassing is a, a system for discipleship. That eventually there'll be a grid and, and it'll be kind of loose, but it'll be set up so that if you feel called to make disciples, which that's the mission of our church, the first thing, well, then you'll have a little bit of a framework for how to do it, that we can give you resources and a pattern. And some of us in here are already doing that very well. And some of us don't even know where to start. But, but this, Jesus spent three years just focused on 12 people. He didn't microwave them. He spent 1,027 days or something like that with the same guys over and over and over again, helping them understand the scriptures and who they are. So these are gonna be core values of our church that will in time, become just normal. In 15 years from now, this will just be what we do. And you won't just have the mission statement locked in your head. You'll have the mission statement and the core values and all the scriptures that go along with them so you can reference the why behind the two words that you say is a core value. Eventually, 15 years from now, this is just be our culture. But today we're in formation. We're six months in and we're developing all of these really beautiful things. I'm six months in. The church is 18 months in, but we're as a family now with all kind of four parts of this body of Christ. The Spanish-speaking congregation that meets at 4.30, the legacy crew. Like, we're all together now. And so this is going to take some time to congeal into one zeroed-in central focus. But when I, when I look at all of those things and I think, that's 15 years away. Where do you start? I don't, I don't think there's any other answer than prayer. I don't, I don't think there's any other goal that makes sense than communing with the Father. I don't, I don't know how would we do any of this if we don't have his help. 
How will we break the change in our own lives, break through the fears and the insecurities and the inabilities and the sin that so easily entangles? How do we get out of that in our own lives without his help? So if we don't engage him, if we don't pray, if we don't become a church that really seeks God, then, uh, then all of it will, won't work. It'll all be good ideas, but it won't be empowered. And I, I don't want us to be 15 years down the road and, and be powerless, but really organized. I want, I want us to be a church that's full of the power of the presence of God. I want to be a person who's like that so that um, my life is consistent with what I read in the Bible. And so our priority for 2020, I could dream up a, a billion things. I, I am. I have a lot of things. Sam and I talk about all these different things. Our stewardship team talks about all these different things. There's a bunch of stuff we could do. Man, there'd be so many things we could do for homeless folks and the neighborhood. And I want to send folks out overseas to unreached people groups, and I want to bring in folks that will teach how to evangelize in a way that is cross-cultural. There is a zillion things I think would be amazing. I would love for us to get like $100 million so we can do all the work that, so you won't die by one of these ceiling tiles that falls down and hits you. By the way, you, you should probably, before you sit next week, look up, because there are some loose ones that I should have told you about, that that would change the scope of the service if you got hit in the head with a tile from 40 feet. I, I would love for God to just to drop all, all of the heavenly riches, storehouses, boom, on us. And we could remodel that building back there and put our kids' ministry out there because even though we're a little thin this morning, there's a bunch of kids downstairs. There's a zillion things I wish we could do, but if there's one thing that 2020 will be known for, if there's one thing that if our church will be known for this, we've got it, a people who seeks the Lord. They were a church that seeks God and is filled with the power of God that we know him and together we engage him, that prayer and communion with the Father is who we are. If we start there, then we seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added. And so 2020, 2020 is gonna be the, the theme of de dependent prayer. That if we can get this core value locked up, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll fit, God will show us the next steps that we need to take. And how do we do kind of part two of our mission statement? Love, the part one, how do we love Jesus Christ if we don't talk to him? If we don't listen to him, our marriage would be way worse. I mean, it would be off the grid terrible. And our, we have a good marriage, but if we never talked, it would be over. Like it would, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be married anymore. We would just be coexisting if we didn't, and even worse, if I didn't listen to her. If she didn't listen to me, if we didn't listen, then we wouldn't have relationship. How can we be Christians who say that we're followers of Christ and we don't talk to him, we don't listen to him? Prayer has got to be the foundation of our church. Jesus constantly left ministry to go pray. You watch his patterns and it's wild. He'll be in the middle of something that seems super important and then he'll just ghost and he'll be in the mountains alone with the Father. He teaches his disciples to pray. He didn't say, if you pray, pray like this. He said, when you pray. He's expecting that we're gonna pray all the time. When you pray, and then he gives us a framework. Pray like this, all of chapter 17 of John, all of it is a prayer. It's Jesus' recorded prayer as he's engaging the Father. We must become the disciples who love Jesus Christ and are sent to our neighbor. We must seek him. 
the New American Standard Version of the Bible in 1977 wrote about Luke 2. So Luke, Luke 10, 2 is where Jesus sends out the 72. And he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Beseech the Lord. It didn't say, let's go. He said, ask the Lord first. In, in a new church, in a new neighborhood, with all of these projects to do, it could be really, really easy to just get really, really busy. And Martha, this thing up, like on the stained glass outside, if you have not seen that, Martha was really busy doing work for Christ, and Mary was with Christ. It could be easy to get busy, and Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. There's a huge problem of lostness everywhere, and you got to go. But first, beseech the Lord. Matthew 9, 37 and 38, if you have your Bible, you can mark that later on. You have to go there because you get somewhere else to go. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly is the text. Not pray a little bit or pray some, pray earnestly. Therefore, to the Lord of the harvest so that he would send out laborers into his harvest. We gotta ask God, and for God to do this reviving, transforming work in our lives and in our families and our neighborhoods in this section of Dallas and all the world, we must become disciples who are all in for God's mission, and we must become workers who are sendable into the harvest. And the way to get there is to back all the way up and get on our knees and ask him, where are the gaps that make me unsendable today? Where's the sin that's tangled me up that keeps me locked back in yesterday? Where am I lacking in love for you? Where do you want me to go? I, I may want to go this way, but you may want to go left. Where do you want me to go? What is your will? We must engage him. So a self-evaluation question is it are you a disciple today? Are you sendable? Are you in a space where you feel like you've engaged God and you, this is who you love and are with? that you can be deployed. And your answer may absolutely be, heck yeah, let's go. There are some of us in this church that say, yep, I'm in and we're rolling, let's go. Lord Jesus has already sent me here. That's why I moved all my stuff, sold my house and came here. Thank you, gardeners. As examples of people who said, no, I'm all in. Lily and Alex, they spend like 25 hours a week here, at least, maybe more. I don't know how you do that, Maybe you have like a warp zone from your house here to get there. There are people that are all in. And maybe your answer is absolutely yes. That um, I feel like I'm sent and I'm in and I'm rolling. Uh, some of us may say yes in theory. I think theoretically I've leveraged my life, but I'm, I'm like one foot in, one foot out. Like I'm, some, I'm yeah, maybe, sort of, sometimes. Maybe you're a yes, but like a half-hearted yes. Maybe you don't understand the question. And that's okay. If you don't understand the question, what does it mean to be a disciple who sent? If you don't understand that, you're in the perfect spot because God wants you to become one. That's why you're here. So great, answer the question honestly. Or maybe it's no for some reason. And if the answer is no, well then you should ask yourself why. Why am I not a disciple? Why do I not care about the harvest? Why am I not sent? Why am I not full of the power of God? Why do I not pray? If the question is no, then why? And, and these are questions that I would love to engage. Sam would love to engage. Folks in this room would love to engage if the answer is no. So turn, now we're, now we're gonna get to the sermon, okay? That was a, a warm-up on 
the mission and the church and the kingdom where we're going turn to 2 Chronicles. We're going Old Testament and going old school. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And we're going to stand to read one verse, okay? So when you get to chapter 7, you can stand up. That's how I know you're in chapter 7. We're going to be in ESV. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And we're going to read, we usually just do call to worship all together, but I like for us to do this all together as well. 7, 14. Here we go. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will hear their land. God, would you... Reveal yourself to be so clear and lovely that we would turn and seek you. Would you fulfill this promise that we will find you? And God, would you hear from heaven and respond to us and do all the healing work you want to do in our lives, in this neighborhood, in the nation, in, in, in the nations? God, would you do it for your glory in Christ's name? Amen. You can be seated. That's a joke pastors make that they just started the sermon. We're not going to go 45 more minutes here, I promise you. Because um, there's some other things I'd rather us do instead. But 2 Chronicles chapter 2 is a continuation of 1 Chronicles. Duh. And if you read the end of 1 Chronicles and the beginning of 2 Chronicles, you see this a narrative of, of Israel's history. And King David had a really colorful role and reign as king and leadership of the church. And there's this spot in Second Chron- in First Chronicles where David feels convicted and clear that he's not worshiping God in the way that God needs to be worshiped. He's the, the old tent that Moses had created, a tabernacle that traveled around where the presence of God sat in, was no longer best, no longer ideal for God's people. And so David feels from the Lord that he's got to build a temple. And so David, in, second, in First Chronicles, starts this massive undertaking. It feels a little bit like this church, this massive undertaking to acquire all the necessary resources to build a place for God's presence to dwell, which is Old Testament. New Testament, God's presence is here right now in all one of us. But, but the Old Testament, God had a specific spot where he would stay. His presence had to be contained because it was too big, too, too holy, too powerful. It would, it would eradicate all of mankind. And so they built the temple. And David, you see in the, 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 the end of second, First Chronicles, he's collecting resources. It seems to be like a boring part of the scriptures, but it's really exciting because everything is very intentional. And there's these teams and groups and people and resources. And there's a spot where David gives up his own resources in a crazy way that seems like, I did some math a long time ago, I found in a note in a Bible that it was, that it was like two thirds of his personal assets is what he put into the temple project, something like 20 or $40 billion, I think I wrote down. David goes all in, and you see this procedure happen where everything's coming to fruition, but then David dies. He doesn't get to start it, but he transfers the job to his son, Solomon. So Solomon is the one who is praying this prayer. And Solomon takes the reins of leadership and moves the, the job forward. And there's all these sweet places where you see David tell his son, seek the Lord if you'll do this. If you'll seek him, then he'll hear from you and you'll accomplish the things that I've called you to do. If you don't, it's gonna go bad. And it gets to the second chronicle spot. In 11 through 22, 
Solomon has finished the house of the Lord. And there's been these crazy moments where the presence of God falls down from heaven and consumes these sacrifices and his glory fills the place and smoke covers it and people are all worshiping. There's this powerful experience of God's presence. The obedience and the seeking the Lord into leveraging all of our lives creates this moment. It's awesome. It's crazy reading that if you go back today when you're done with this and read the end of First Chronicles into Second Chronicles, it'll be like the best movie short you watch. Way better than anything on Netflix you could just binge today. Read that. Because it, it's a storyline that's wild. And it gets to this space in Second Chronicles where Solomon's finished. He successfully accomplished it. And then the Lord, verse 12 in Second Chronicles 7, appears to Solomon in the night. And God speaks to Solomon. There's less and less places as you cruise through scripture where God appears and speaks to somebody. It's prophets. We lost that privilege when sin entered in. But God appears to Solomon and speaks to Solomon and he says, I've heard your prayer. What? If we just stopped the sermon right there and God showed up here because he heard our prayer, what would that be like? He heard his prayer, and he's chosen this place for myself as a house of a sacrifice. And then he gets to verse 14. So I was mistaken. What we read together wasn't the prayer of Solomon. It was God speaking to Solomon. And these are, this is a really thick text, and, and there's a place or two to write some notes. But he goes, if, it's a, it's a, qualification, if my people will seek me, if the Israelites will seek him, they'll turn from their sin and seek him, if they'll repent and seek him, turn from their wicked ways, then he'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Isn't that what we're hoping for in this neighborhood? Isn't that what we're hoping for in the city? Isn't that what we're hoping for in our lives? that sin no longer affects us like it used to, that healing plays out amongst our people, the brokenness goes away. Isn't that what we're hoping for? Isn't that what we celebrated 10 days, 11 days ago at Christ's arrival, that he has come to destroy the work of the enemy and to take away sin? Isn't that what we're hoping for? Well, the qualification is if we'll seek him, we'll humble ourselves and seek him. And then he goes on and talks about how he's chosen the place and he's consecrated the place. And I don't know that it directly correlates that our church is like the temple because it's New Testament, but, but there are some things that definitely apply. If you walk before me like your father David walked, then I'll establish, I'll, I'll come good on all the things I've promised, essentially is what God says to Solomon. Now verse 19, if you're following along in 2 Chronicles, verse 19 says, but if you turn aside and forsake my statutes, you could do this, but if you don't, and then God lists out all the things that will happen if we don't, if Israel doesn't. And so I, I read this text and I go, there's a lot of applications. One of them is if we don't engage God, then what? And we can look at Israel and their, their tattered history and all of the times they were besieged and overthrown and ransacked and put into captivity we can see the pattern of enslavery to their own sin that played out because they didn't. 
And I just think about that for our church, and I go, if we don't pray, if we don't seek God, if we don't press in with all of our hearts, if we don't do this, then we maybe will grow something up, but it, but it may also be cursed. <laughs> we may grow something up, and it, and it may be consequence. We've got to seek him. Turn to Jeremiah 29.13. Jeremiah 29.13 is one of those prophetic spots where God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. And a lot of you know Proverbs, uh, Jeremiah 29.11. Did anybody know that passage, 29.11, Proverbs, uh, Jeremiah 29.11? If you, if you know it, just nod your head. You know it, okay? It's something like, in the scriptures, something like, I know the plans I have for you, right? Well, this passage is couched in a, hey, these are the, this is the curse that's coming. Because you disobeyed, this is coming. But God, who's really kind, knows the plans, he's gonna fix it. And right after that passage, right after that verse, a lot of people know, verse 12, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. 29 before that is all of the ways that Israel is getting condemned and the consequences of their sin is playing out. But God knows his plans, and if we'll seek him with all of our heart, then he will be found by us. The promises are replete through Scripture. There's a book I've been reading called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. If you want a book list edition for 2020, read Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. It's by Jim Cimbala. And and a quote for the last chapter I read in that book is, God will manifest himself in direct proportion to our passion for him. That was a terrible one-liner in a book. Sometimes I read books and one-liners and I close it and I push it away and I go, oh shoot, that was bad. God will manifest himself in direct proportion to our passion for him. Well, how's our passion for him articulated? What does it look like? Psalm 63, I thirst for you. I cry out to you. I seek you. Jeremiah 29, with all of our heart. So this is the hope for 2020. And and I'm gonna try to say it all the time. Whoever is teaching up here, because we've got some really great teachers in the church who've gift of teaching. We're gonna have other people, we're gonna try to say this all the time. Seek the Lord, seek the Lord. We're gonna add to our service orders ways for us to pray. We're gonna get real serious about response time where maybe we add a second song so that there's more space for us to listen and then to receive prayer. Our prayer team is very strong. We would love to pray for you. Prayer cards are everywhere, but we're gonna try to do it actively, not passively. We're gonna pray. And so today we're gonna finish the service with prayer. I've got a few lists of things to pray for. And this is maybe uncomfortable and outside of some of our boxes, right? Some of us are not used to praying out loud, much less praying with strangers, much less praying with the church as a whole. The church has always been show up and sing and give money and then leave. But, but that's not gonna be our church. We're gonna pray and seek God and ask him to bless us, ask him to guide us and give us direction. We're gonna pray. And so we're gonna finish our time together with prayer. And there's gonna be, four different sections that we're gonna pray, and then we're gonna have a worship song to finish it out. We're gonna be maybe five or 10 minutes longer than normal service because I preach a little longer than I expected to, and I'm not sorry, okay? But we're gonna have to adjust our seating a little bit too because we don't have mobile chairs, and so we're gonna have to, if we're kind of isolated, we're gonna have to sort of cluster up a little bit and lean in. 
and we're gonna together pray in the same direction. And if you don't feel comfortable praying, don't feel pressure like you have to, but, but think like maybe I will someday and then let other people pray on your behalf. But lean in, gather in, find your spot. Our worship teams will be praying too. And then our last prayer point, and I'll lead us through some of these. And our last prayer point, uh, we, we'll finish into worship and we'll do some announcements and we'll, we'll roll. But for a little bit, our church is gonna start to practice what we read in the scriptures. We're gonna pray. These are our seek the Lord topics. We're gonna start with just our, our own hearts. If we'll seek the Lord and, and repent is, is what we read in the scriptures. So we'll read the scriptures and do it. So we're gonna ask forgiveness. Um, forgiveness and forgiveness. Like, Lord, if we need to be forgiven for our half-heartedness, if we need to be forgiven for our, our lack of desire to seek you or love for you, whatever we need to like press into, and you can be public about real, real stuff or be private in your heart about that stuff, that's okay. Now, don't, don't feel pressure here to perform. Just lean into this direction. I feel like this is what the Lord wants to pray for. So relationship with God, with others, uh, half-hearted obedience, let's repent for not being God's people in whatever way that is for just a few minutes. Ready, go. The next prayer point generally is that we'd be a church known for our connectedness to God. That personally, we'd have individual intimacy with the Lord, that the gaps that exist in our lives for whatever reason, whatever the obstacles are that we need to move out of the way in 2020 so we can pray more, whatever those are, that we would grow in our collective love for praying, that we would, we would gather in his name and pray. We would know God's will. I mean, we could, there's a lot of things we could go in here. Our love would grow. I mean, kind of this progression in prayer and connectedness is the theme. So ready, go. Now this next one is, is short but sweet. Would we be made into workers who are sent into disciples? More into if we're already disciples, if we're on the front edge of it, like what, whatever phase we're gonna be growing in our connectedness to Christ. And so pray quickly on this spot of the Lord, make us into disciples, make us into the workers that are sent. Go. Uh, when the church prays together, we're gonna to pray for specific things. Do we know the Lord's will on specific things? And, and there, there are a, a few things that are kind of on the front that we're trying to figure out God's will for and, and how to best do. And I'm leaning into trying to ask the Lord for. And so the next one is some current things we can ask just like for God to lead and guide and give direction. Um, E-L-D, that, I don't know why that's an E in there. E, spelling, because somebody had some grammar skills, that'd be helpful. Uh, the, everywhere I read the scriptures, the church is led by elders. And this is a long process. So I think the prayer would be that God would raise up elders, that there would be, there'd be God would raise up elders in the church that would be able to shepherd, that would meet the, the need for our congregation. There's, there's a lot of places where churches don't have shepherding and leadership, and so there's a lot of people, but no, no one that really gets discipled. And so it's a, a longer conversation, but you can just pray for the future of leadership and elders in our church would be one thing to pray for. Uh, we've been presented with the chance to buy the property next door. And it's the, the, the only property abutted next to us that doesn't have any sort of um, like restrictions. It's not a historic property. And we don't have a ton of money as a church. And there just seems like there's some inertia going that way. And so our stewardship team is praying right now, yes or no. And then if the answer is yes, uh, what, how? And so as a church, let's pray. If God's going to use this room and make it full, even if and we'll never be a mega church, I have no hope for us to, to have all of these campuses and a trillion people, but if we maximize the space, then we'll need more parking spots. Right now we get full at 100. 
And if the if yeah, parking team, woo! Uh, right now we get full at at hundred people here, and for this room to be full is around two fifty three hundred. And so we'll need more parking spaces. If God wants to get that, that's the other thing. And then the and the last the last one is a uh, is a uh, moving into deeper community. This is a step that direction, but we have sort of different histories in church of how we do community, Sunday school, community groups. How does that play out for us to be in smaller circles together in different places around the city? And, and I'm still working through some of that on how to best articulate that in our church. And so prayer for wisdom on how to, to lead that out, to shepherd that, to, to set up small units. I don't know how it's gonna work and what's best for the people that God's got coming. So wisdom on those three fronts currently, ready, go. Father, we don't, we don't wanna go any way you're not going. Father, would you just shine that light on your path that we, we would trust in you with all our hearts and lean on our own understanding and, and always acknowledge you and you would direct our path. God, would we be people who one step at a time, that your word would be a lamp into our feet and we would take one step at a time to obey you and know what you're doing, what your will is, how to be together as you want us to be, what you want us individually to do, to, to step forward in, to shepherd, to care, to create space, whatever it is, God, will we listen to you and follow and say yes? And then will we be people marked by such intimacy with you that we, uh, we are people of the way that look like Jesus and love like Jesus and walk like Jesus and, and have power in our steps and choices like Christ? Lord, you only can do that. And so, Father, would you lead us and guide us in all the things we've asked today, all the ways we are leaning and hoping and wondering what your will is? God, would you show us? Thank you for the intimacy that your spirit has created amongst us. Thank you for binding us together in deeper ways where this moment will be a sweet marker in the timeline of our church. And so God, man, you're so kind. And we love you and we thank you and we bless you for letting us gather together in your name and be the church who, who are doing what the church started doing and were designed to do. Thank you for letting us do this. In Christ's name, amen.